One of the things I've come upon in the last couple of years is the notion that we really need to, to rehumanize the workplace. And that doesn't just go for sort of the, the corporate workplace. It also goes for the church as a workplace, because uh, it is a workplace. And we really just have to reimagine how we go about work, because I, I really believe God intended work to be a part of a thriving life, a life in which we flourish and experience well-being. It's, it's so important that we work. It's just meaningful. Um, but like anything else, wow, we can overdo it. We can do it in some misguided ways, and what God intended as a good um, becomes a harmful aspect of life. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, pastor and business coach, Chad Hall. Chad is the director of coaching at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and the president of Coach Approach Ministries. This interview is a great follow-up to the message that Andy Mason shared on episode 67. If you missed that one, go back in the feed and check it out. I said it then, I'll say it again. Episode 67 with Andy Mason is probably one of the most important messages we've aired thus far on the show. Our interview with Chad is not only going to be for pastors in our audience, but also for Christians in general. Chad has some great insights into both communities. And so here's how my co-host John Ramstead and I got that conversation started. Well, Steve, today on Eternal Leadership, we have Chad Hall. And Chad is not only a master certified coach, but he's the president of Coach Approach Ministries. And since I've been coaching, I've been following Chad's work and reading his blog and reading the Christian Coaching Magazine that he publishes. And I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to having Chad on today. So Chad, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Well, good to have you here. And you know what I'd like to do? We always like to start out and just have you share a little bit about your background and your story, your journey, and people can get to know you. And then I got a whole bunch of questions I'm really looking forward to uh, putting in front of you. <laughs> well, yeah, we may not have time after I give you the background, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to keep that part short. So, yeah, um, as I approached adulthood uh, in college, I felt called to ministry. And I, w I remember being 19 years old and sitting at the counter of the, in the, at the kitchen in my parents' home and feeling a distinct call from God to say, you know, if this Jesus stuff is true, it changes everything, um, including what you do with your vocation or what you do with your life. And to be honest, you know, as a you know, wise 19-year-old, uh, <laughs> yeah, the only really three options I could see uh, for, for what that meant was, okay, you either are going to be a pastor or you're going to be like a music leader in a church or you're going to be a missionary. And me and music don't really get along. So I was pretty sure unless I became Pentecostal and God gave me some kind of extraordinary gift, that wasn't going to happen. And so I went into ministry really blindly, just and it just unfolded over the years in some really crazy ways. Um, so I started off as a, um, an associate pastor, later was a pastor, um, and then somehow found my way on the onto the staff of um, a denomination. So at, uh, I think I was at the ripe age of 28, um, I was a consultant for uh, one of the Baptist denominations, and uh, would go around, work with leaders, work with churches, and uh, 
it was in that role I really stumbled upon coaching. And I had always had this kind of uh, sense deep down that um, rather than go in with all the answers um, and then try to convince people of what I believed and what I thought would be uh, best for them or would work for them, that there had to be more of a partnering with, uh, between me and them and, of course, what God was doing. And lo and behold, coaching really fit that. I, I stumbled upon it and realized, oh, this is actually a profession. And um, so it was just neat the way God began to sort of broaden the options for what it meant to do ministry and to be a part of his kingdom. And so I began to coach leaders and churches and then also train other folks to do coaching. And really from there, um, found, wow, this is a pretty transferable set of skills. And I uh, went to work for a large technology company for a couple of years, uh, doing coaching and training, uh, leadership development uh, with them. And then, um, gosh, it's been about six years ago, um, came on faculty for Western Seminary and uh, direct coach training program there, uh, teach uh, the coaching courses as well as a handful of other courses that are on the uh, seminary curriculum. And then along the way, uh, started Coach Approach Ministries as a way to train, equip, encourage uh, people to, again, leverage this, not just the skills of coaching, but really the whole mindset of coaching. Um, and how can, you, how can you engage people um, as a coach? And my way of saying that is coaching allows us to engage without controlling. And so if, if I can engage and let God be in control, that's much more of a facilitator, a coach, um, an equipper. And so these days, that's what I do um, vocationally. I uh, lead Coach Approach Ministries, do training and coaching, work with uh, pastors, other church leaders, and a number of uh, corporate coaching clients. And then I'm also on the faculty with Western Seminary. Do all of that from my worldwide headquarters here in North Carolina. Hey, hey Chad, well, you know, uh, for people listening, what would you say the difference is? Because uh, there's so many terms out there between coaching, training, and consulting. Sure, yeah. Training and consulting really kind of fit in the same quadrant. Uh, training and consulting, mentoring would go in that same neighborhood. Uh, those are roles where the person who's helping really is the expert, uh, they're either a content expert or a subject matter expert, or in the case of a mentor, uh, their ex expertise really is based on their own experience, so they've gained it firsthand. And in all of those roles, the, the helper really is delivering that expertise to the person who uh, has come to them. Those are really helpful, so nothing wrong with those ways of uh, supporting others. The coaching really belongs in a different quadrant, you might think. Um, so coaching really is a skilled way of drawing out the other person's expertise. So uh, there is skill in it, there is expertise, but it's more of a process expertise. Uh, the coach really tries to ask questions, uh, listen well, reflect back in order to draw out um, the experience, the expertise, and really even the crucial kind of questions that a person is facing. And it's, so it's really about helping them solve their own problem versus kind of offering a solution to them. 
So, you know, as you had this journey from, because uh, I'm, I'm just curious, back when you were 19 years old and you felt called to ministry, and you felt at the time, you know, being a pastor or actually being in some kind of, you know, probably 501c3 environment was really the only way to go. But then you journeyed from that to a very large technology company. What were, you know, some of the decision points on the way here that you you, you found yourself having to make? Yeah, that's a great question. Some of the decision points were, um, one, what is ministry? And um, really redefining that. And I think a, a real pivot point for me was realizing that um, God is uniquely, specifically um, working in and through the church. Um, and then God is also working in other ways and in other areas, uh, such as the business community, um, other nonprofits. Those don't replace the church. They don't, they don't negate the church. They don't you know, diminish the church in any way. I really have come to realize that if the church is doing its job well, then God really gets infused into uh, the rest of life. And so I know for me, going from even local church ministry into denominational work, boy, that was a, that was a real challenge. You know, you had people around you saying, well, so are you, are you leaving the ministry? And it was really that ministry had become this sort of box that was... The, the church ministry. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not leaving the ministry. I'm getting deeper in the ministry. Um, Isn't that interesting? Don't you find that a lot when people are like, like exactly what you're talking about? Uh, Peter Wagner was on and he said, you'll never hear somebody in traditional, uh, a traditional church role use the word ministry and somebody in business ever in the same sentence. And, and I, and I think that is a big mistake because I think some of the biggest areas in this culture, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., where uh, men and women of faith who just want to have a kingdom impact, where they can have the most influence is in the marketplace. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. One of my colleagues at uh, Western Seminary, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, what, what happens is that the pastors and other church leaders look at the business leaders, and they think, hmm, I wonder how uh, he or she can help us in the church be more effective. And so maybe they looked for them to be an elder or to bring in some business principle or organizational principle to make the church stronger. And that's, that's good. They're, you know, that, that, that's cool. Um, but what they're missing is, oh, how can I equip, how can I as a pastor equip the business leader to be Christ in his or her setting? And wow, that's what, to me, that's where the kingdom it's really strong. That's where Jesus um, just is allowed to run wild uh, in our communities. And so rather than thinking, keeping him kind of boxed in in the church, you know, the, the ways that we relate to one another at work, um, boy, that, that's where you live out your faith. And that was one of the other pivot points for me going into uh, the corporate world you know, where maybe you can't be as explicit um, and you don't really have the platform of being a minister uh, to stand on. And you realize, oh, it's really how I have conversations. It's, it's how I care for my coworkers. It's the attitude I bring to team meetings. Um, it's the water cooler conversations uh, where we're able to talk about things that really matter deeply. Um, and 
that that takes some uh, for someone who's who's coming from vocational ministry. Uh, that takes a new set of skills, a new attitude. There seems to be a real correlation between the work of a pastor and the work of somebody out there in the workforce. Because when you look at the statistics, 90% of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours a week. 80% of believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. And when you look at people working out there in the workforce that works 55 to 75 hours a week, it's negatively affecting their families as well. 75% report significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 70% of pastors fight depression. When you go through these kinds of statistics, somebody who's leading a church and somebody who's leading a business, they seem to struggle with a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, talk about the blind leading the blind, right? <laughs> We, uh, when we're, we as pastors, you know, uh, we try to um, equip and instruct and train and encourage people how to live well, and yet we really can't do it um, because of the pressures of, of work. And, um, yeah, I saw some similar statistics um, from the uh, United Methodist Church where they said, you know, their, their clergy are more overweight, more stressed out more diseased, just in every sort of physical and mental way, less healthy than the average person in their church. What what do we do about that? No wonder people burn out um, in the church. One of the things I've come upon in the last couple of years is the notion that we really need to to rehumanize the workplace. And that doesn't just go for sort of the, the corporate uh, business workplace. It also goes for the church as a workplace, uh, because it is a workplace uh, for those who are on staff and take ministry and leadership roles. And we really just have to reimagine how we go about work, because I, I really believe God intended work to be a part of a thriving life, a life in which we flourish and experience well-being. It's, it's so important that we work. It's, it's just meaningful. Um, but like anything else, wow, we can overdo it. We can do it in some misguided ways. And what God intended as a good um, becomes a harmful aspect of life. You know, Chad, as you've worked with multiple leaders, both, you know, in in churches and also in business, what are some of the skills that you've seen that they've just need the most work on developing that have had the most impact in what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Some of the ones that I've seen, and one of the things I like about coaching is I get to work with people that I just admire. You know, they they do it well, and all I'm doing really is facilitating their um, success. It's really they already have this, and so I get to learn from them in a lot of ways. And so some of the skills I've seen, one is the skill to say no. And that, that sounds so simple and maybe even trite, but to me that's the first thing that separates someone who really thrives at work and their work is God-honoring from the people who work is a burden, it's, um, it's probably dehumanizing for them, just the ability to say no in, in the discernment of what to say yes to and what to say no to. Um, the people, including the pastors who 
fit those statistics that Steve was sharing earlier uh, about being so burned out and overworked and stressed. Um, you know, we we are finite as people. <laughs> we can only do so much. And so you've got to learn to say no. Um, you know, as coaches, people, Chad, we're always looking for that reason behind the reason. What have you found is some of the core issues that make saying no a real challenge to people? Yeah. Um, gosh, I'll, I'll paint with a broad brush, so this isn't going to apply to everybody in every situation, but some of the general things I've seen. Uh, one is, you know, we have... I think we all suffer from maybe a, a Superman or Superwoman complex. Um, I, I know I do. I see something that needs to be done, and I think I could do that. And so I say yes to it instead of saying, no, that's probably best for someone else to do or that's something better left undone. Um, so there's that kind of Superman thing. There's also um, a lack of, of a clear and compelling mission and if you're not clear exactly what your mission is, then you're not clear what it's not. And you can't make those you know, yes-no decisions about where to invest your time and energy. Um, I'd say another underlying issue is, um, uh, I hate to use the word balance. I think sometimes that gets a bit overused. But um, maybe it's it's kind of a hyper-focus on work so that, work in some ways becomes the only thing that matters. And when work's the only thing that matters, you don't have family or community or church or friends or um, hobbies. Wow, it just spills over into all of your life and kind of takes over like a cancer. Um, And therefore, it's really hard to say no if work is all that matters or the thing that matters most. Um, I could probably come up with a list of 10 other things if I thought about it, but I think those are three of the big ones. Yeah, I think you hit the. I, I love what you said. You know, you have you really need clarity about what that purpose is, um, because if you don't know that, you don't know what it isn't. So you don't have any even have a framework to really look at how to decide on what you're saying yes and no to. Because everything you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. And was that thing you're saying no to really important or impactful in your life or? Um, you know, in line with what you're trying to accomplish, the life you're trying to create for yourself. Yeah. I think what goes along with that is an ability to welcome on uh, team members and co-laborers. So if if you can't build a community um, or develop a community or at least work in a community, uh, which biblically would say is the body, um, you really are going to try to do it all. But if you have the mission that we all share and we're all zeroed in on it, we really can work in that cooperative sort of uh, not only cooperative and collaborative, but complementary ways with one another so that you can say yes to what you need to and I can say yes to what I need to and and then our no's and our yeses can complement one another. You know, something I've noticed um both working with corporate leaders and maybe you can share a little bit on on the ministry side of things is you know there is a there's a big role that ego plays uh it can be very powerful very negative and why do you think that is so pervasive today and how do you work with clients that you're working with coaching them to move toward uh a servant leadership perspective yeah <laughs> yeah well i wish i knew the answer to that one i you know uh, you know john i said for some time that uh, when I teach classes on uh, running a coaching practice and stuff, I say, you you got to know who you're called to work with. 
And my little motto for who I like to work with as a coaching client is I want clients who have high competence and low ego. And those two don't go together. I've, I've kind of narrowed my niche, right? Yeah, <laughs> you sure have by saying world. that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, we live in a world that's sort of overwhelmed with information and data and messages and communication. And this this ego thing maybe is, again, a negative, um, uh, maybe a negative outgrowth of high competence. And so we... We want to feel competent. We want to feel like we are good at what we do, that we, we add value to the world, that we are a contributor. And yet the enemy is so subtle and strategic in taking those good things and just twisting them. And I think that's where, how ego shows up. You know, it, it's what uh, Kim Blanchard, I think, is the one who says, you know, ego stands for edging God out. And, you know, um, what what I prefer, both for myself and for those I work with, is to first to claim our competence and humbly note where it comes from. Um, so I can be the world's greatest at whatever and still be humble because I know God is the one who has given it to me. God is the one who has allowed me to develop the competencies. Um, and that's just a good way, I think, to go about life. But Gosh, so many in both again business and in ministry leadership. That's a it's it's a tough um, sort of balancing act to to claim competence without edging God out. Well, I, I think also the concept of humility. A lot of people see that as a term that you know. How do you be a leader and be humble? And uh, Ken Blanchard, I, I love what he says. It's not about thinking about you know, thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking about yourself less. Yeah. So it's about focusing on other people and lifting other people up and serving them. Yeah. And, you know, it's neat because when we do that, when we think less about ourselves, um, I, I think I just got that right. <laughs> when yep. we think less of, about ourselves less, um, we're able to think about others. Uh, we're able to look and to notice and to equip and to empower and to keep the mission central and, and critical for for the organization. And I think what really is disturbing, and again, this is both in the business and the church context, it's disturbing when the organization really just becomes a platform on which the leader can stand and be noticed. And you know, part of what fuels that is our celebrity culture, our culture that where people can be famous just for being famous and, you know, we're overly networked in some ways. We, and we just long for notoriety. And uh, when you see people who, who grow churches or build businesses, and really just so they can kind of stand on top of it and be noticed, oh, wow, that's, um, I think that's just getting it backwards. You know, I agree with that statement. Now, Chad, when you're brought into you know, as a coach into a situation with a leader and there's leadership challenges there, either it's personal development or it's uh, what they need to do to accomplish, whether it's in the church environment or business environment, what are, what are some of the things that you work on with the leaders? Where, where do you start and where do you, what's the journey that you bring them on? Yeah, well, of course it varies from with every client because every, every person's unique, but the things that, that show up um, over and over again I start with story. I'm a big believer that we, 
we understand ourselves best and we understand and sort of uh, engage life best when we think in, in narrative terms. And so um, I ask the client to just share their story, you know, where are they in life and how do they get there? And it's funny because when you, when you share and hear story, you notice trajectory and you kind of see, oh, this is what's going on in life and what are the sort of chapter headings. And then it's easier for the leader to imagine what's the next chapter. And, um, and to think about that intentionally, I think, is, is really crucial. Uh, what's the next chapter in the leader's life story? And what's it mean to live into that chapter well? Um, and so that's really big picture stuff. But then it quickly gets to the more granular uh, details of key relationships, key competencies, um, you know, things to leave behind in order to be able to pick up the thing that's, that's true for this chapter. Um, and it tend to leverage the idea of transitions a lot. So, you know, transition being I'm leaving one reality and inhabiting a new reality and just really helping the leader get equipped prepared, um, emotionally charged for um, the new and next realities. Well, you know, if, if you go through that process with somebody, and I'm, I'm sure people are thinking about their narrative, they're listening to this, and they're looking at that trajectory. And I love this concept of the next chapter, not the end of the book, but just the next chapter. And if that trajectory into that next chapter is not where they want to be heading, what are some of the keys to either reframe that or just shift that trajectory into an area that's going to be much more fulfilling for people. Yeah. Well, one is to, you know, I, that's why I think God has given us the power of imagination. You know, we don't have to actually be in the chapter in order to be in it. You know, we could imagine it and kind of walk around in it and, and see what that feels like. And then I think what the, the first thing is for the client, um, by the way, that's my term for the leaders that I coach. So I coach their coaching clients. So um, I think what's key is for the client to inhabit that chapter in his or her imagination first. And if that's not the, the, the right chapter to be in, there's a, an instinctive, emotional, almost gut level response or reaction to it. And, and the, the reaction is, is really simple. It's a reaction of no, uh, N-O, no. And what we want to do in coaching is create awareness. And that's one of the most important new awarenesses for clients. It's the awareness of no, that doesn't fit me. I don't want that. That's not where I want to go um, into that next chapter. Even though perhaps the corporate ladder or whatever the kind of path that has been laid before them, it, it seems like that's the next chapter. If they can feel that no, um, internally before they actually get into that chapter, that's huge. That allows us to rewrite it and uh, to begin to really be proactive um, in, in creating a, a better version of the next two to 10 years of their life story. And that, that's when they kind of get off of autopilot and uh, get busy creating the life that God wants them to live rather than just sort of going with you know, the decisions everybody else is making for them. Well, you know, I love that part. You know, the, the, 
people in autopilot. There's so many of us that, you know, especially in our 30s, 40s, 50s, we've, we're definitely in kind of that autopilot mode. We've stopped dreaming. And you just talked about connecting that to God's purpose or calling in our life. What, what are some of the keys? Because I, I think if you know that destination you're heading toward, uh, it makes looking at how, where and how you want to shift that trajectory, the process much more clear. When you're working with leaders, what are some of the things that would help them really get some clarity on that vision for their life and what that looks like? Yeah, yeah. One of the things I do is I, I ask them to list uh, their heroes in life. And you know, a, a hero is anyone that they admire. They, they may not admire everything about that person, but they, they admire some quality or set of characteristics about who that person is. And um, I ask them for uh, four or five um, people who function as heroes. could be people from uh, uh, books they've read or fiction or from history or from their family. It could be you know, champions of the faith. Um, but I really want them to think about that and really ponder it. And when they get those, those heroes, then we can kind of tease out of that, hmm, what part of that person... Uh, what what part of that person's life do you need to live into? Um, and you kind of let the the hero um, sort of cast light into the leader's uh, walk. Um, so so for instance, um, I had a leader uh, who was a client. Um, he was in the oil industry, and he said uh, that his grandfather um, in Ireland, uh, you know, generations ago was one of his heroes. I said, oh, great. What's, what's so heroic about him? What's the quality or characteristic that you admire in him? And he said, you know, he had this way of being tenacious and tough and at the same time tender. And it, it was like, wow, that'll preach, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tenacious, tough, and tender. And I said, so when you look at the next chapter of your life, how does that need to show up? And he realized that he had, it was really interesting. Um, he had been assuming that he should quit the, the, the industry world, the oil industry, oil and gas, um, and go into ministry because that's what mattered. You know, that's where the kingdom was. That's where God was at work. And he realized the tenderness could show up there, but the toughness and the tenacity really wasn't at home in the church that he served, where he was an, an elder. Mm. And they were, they were looking to call him on staff. And he said, you know, I can be tough, tenacious, and tender um, in my role um, in the oil and gas industry. He became a, a senior vice president. And he impacted far more people in that role than he would have uh, stepping into being an executive pastor of a congregation. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being the executive pastor of a congregation. But it was the, it was that hero in his life, and and kind of really learning from that person's life, and then letting those characteristics show up in his own life. It really gave guidance to that next chapter for him. Well, I love that story, Chad. I'm so glad you shared it. It. I would. Can you share some more about you know people that are really looking at making that impact? right in the world around them, maybe they're in business, what are, what are some resources, tools, you know, areas out there that they can go to equip themselves? Because a lot of times we, 
as leaders in the marketplace, we, we don't find that in our traditional church world. What we're getting from Sunday isn't equipping us to really live that life of impact Monday through Friday. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'll be honest, John, this is one of those places where my, uh, my colleague Jim Hislop would be able to respond with so many more resources. Um, I, you know, I, I'll mention a couple that I know. Um, one would be Tim Keller's book, um, Every Good Endeavor. You know, um, the, the subtitle of that book, Connecting Your Work to God's Work. And I think that really is the first resource. The most important resource is a vision for how the two connect, that, um, that God really cares about um, what I do for a living. And, you know, having been a, um, you know, grown up and being a leader in the um, evangelical community, sometimes we think that work could only be important if I can share Christ and get someone saved. And that's great. I mean, certainly love to see that, uh, you know, workplace evangelism. Um, but I think we also need to be equipped with a vision for how our work really connects to what God's doing in the world. Um, and not just the sort of individual decisions that people make for God, uh, but really in uh, kind of living out the kingdom of God uh, the same way we'd want to at church, the same way we want to in the family. How do we do that at work? And what it does is it gives people permission to either stay in the business world in that context, or perhaps even to transition into it. Um, and that's, gosh, I've worked with plenty of pastors who really they were kind of stuck in ministry because they thought that's the only thing they could do. And God might not be happy with them <laughs> if they went into the business community. Um, but the truth is God not only very happy with them, God's using them in the business community. I just had um, a meeting last week with a, a gentleman here in my hometown who um, served the same church I did years and years ago and has now transitioned. And he is now training, equipping, and coaching through the Chamber of Commerce here um, dozens and dozens of leaders in the in the community, um, in the for-profit sector, is making such an impact. And, you know, we, it gets back to what he say yes to, what he say no to. He said no to local congregational ministry and said yes to this. And he's having a huge influence. And he has connected his work to God's work. Chad, that, that, that's a great point, because when you look at the statistics, 50% of ministers starting out will not last five years. So 50% of the people leaving seminary within five years, they're not working in a church. And one out of every 10 pastors will actually retire as a minister in some form. That is a lot of pastors that are moving from traditional, quote unquote, ministry out into the workforce. How else are you seeing those pastors fitting in out there in the workforce? Because obviously those, the, that pastoral gift can translate into a position out there in a business. Yeah, that's right, Steve. And that is the biggest hurdle for the guys I've worked with who make that transition from congregational ministry into uh, the, the sort of corporate or, or uh, not religious nonprofit world. It, it's the mindset, it's the attitude of, do I have anything that adds value outside of the local church? 
and the the ones who say no, <laughs> they don't make the transition very well. You know, they end up working um, in some job that they probably could have gotten right out of high school. The ones who see that they have value to offer, and you think about the if you're really you know good at ministry, you have good people skills, you have good communication skills, typically. Uh, stronger than average organizational skills, you know, unless you're a, a youth pastor. Um, <laughs> I always encourage them to go into circus performing. Uh, that's just kidding. But uh, <laughs> um, and oftentimes leadership skills, you know. So you put all of those things together. And um, another way to think about it is you look at uh, some of you know uh, Daniel Goldman and others who they say talk about emotional intelligence. And that that really is the key differentiator between just sort of you know good leaders and great ones um, in the business community. And many pastors, not all, <laughs> surprisingly, not every pastor is emotionally intelligent, but many of them really are. They have very high EQ. So what do they have to offer the business world? Tons, tons. Mm-hmm. It's the confidence. It's the attitude of, oh, I have something of value to offer. That's the, boy, if they can step over that little thin line, then they really can enter into that world, make a great contribution. Well, Chad, this has been a great conversation as we wrap up. What final thoughts would you like to leave people that have been just listening to what you've shared so far? Yeah, I think a final thought would come from uh, just one of the most important and impactful um, studies that I ever conducted. Um, it was that most of your listeners are familiar with Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God curriculum. Mm-hmm. And in that, he says, you know, find out where God is at work and join him there. And that's really been sort of the motto mm. as a coach. I just help people find out where's God at work. Well, just join him there. People, whether it's a minister transitioning into the work world, if it's a, a business leader wondering how could I you know, live my faith well in uh, you know, the hospital I work or the technology company that I um, am a part of, rather than have to sort of dream and scheme and figure it out and you know, make it up, um, I think if we can just notice, where is God at work? And if God is at work... All we have to do is join him. We don't have to create it or develop it or be smart enough to to come up with something. We just join him where he's already at work. Wow, that that makes it significantly easier. And the question isn't, is God at work where you are? It's how is God at work? And when we recognize that and join him... um, I just believe great things happen. Well, Chad, that statement, it's not is God at work, it's how God's at work. So I think recognizing that God's at work everywhere you're at, because he cares about us in our life, and I love just that simple statement, find out where God is at work, um, and just join him there. Simple but powerful thought. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me hang out with you guys and uh, today. I've really enjoyed it. So, Chad, as we as we finish up here, how can people find you, uh, get in touch with you, and see the kind of work that you're doing? Yeah, the, the, probably the the best way to do that is through the Coach Approach Ministries uh, website, and that's just coachapproachministries.org. Uh, Again, Coach Approach Ministries, all one word. 
Seminary.org. Uh, and then if they'd like to know more about the work I do with Western Seminary, that's westernseminary.edu. And just look under the coaching tab uh, to learn more about our coaching program. Great. Thank you, Chad. Thanks, guys. If you'd like more information about Coach Approach Ministries or Chad, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 073. That's eternalleadership.com slash 073. As always, that link is embedded in the summary of this MP3. And if you have trouble finding it, just shoot me a message, steve at eternalleadership.com, and we'll help you out. It's a great function of technology. As I said at the top, this is a great follow-up to Andy Mason's message on episode 67. One final call, if you're available to head to Redding, California for the Heaven and Business Conference on September 8th through the 11th, I can't recommend it highly enough that you go. Speakers are going to be Dr. Lance Walna, who's been a guest on this show a few times, Pastor Bill Johnson, Chris Vallotton, Andy Mason, Blake Schellenberg from Co-Labor Ministries, many more. Just go to ibethel.com, click the events tab, or look for the link embedded in the summary of this MP3. Next time on Eternal Leadership, Executive Coach Gary Wood. And it's understanding that outcome and then saying, okay, what do I need to get to that particular outcome? What needs to happen? What could possibly hold me back from getting there? What attitudes might be in the way? What might externally affect me? All of those things that make up the foundation of good decision-making, I, I, I need all of those pieces in place. That's clarity. Gary shares his approach on finding clarity. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Mm-hmm.